Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. My name is Pastor Bucky. Welcome to Watermark Church. You guys, if you're here for the first time, thanks for coming. We're just a family church. We love walking together in Orange County, encouraging one another and following Jesus. We're in love with Jesus. We, we want to be his fully devoted disciples and followers. We want to live with an authentic faith. We want to be a part of a community that's just generational, that passes the baton uh, from one generation to the next so that the next generation might know the love of God. That's Melissa. She helps so much with that, but it's all our jobs as parents to disciple our kids, and we just want to be conversational. We love to have God conversations. We love to talk about God, what he's doing in our life, uh, share his story through our story, whether that's through a cup of coffee or a meal or inviting a friend to church. Maybe somebody invited you today. Welcome if you are invited or if you just came for the first time. We're so glad to have you. We'd love to get to know you more, have a conversation, share about life, see how we might encourage you on your faith journey. And uh, just thanks for being with us here today. We're starting a series today. We're excited about it. It's in the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 through 50 over the next weeks of summer as it begins here. It's in the book of Joseph. Excuse me. <laughs> the book of Genesis. It's the life of Joseph in the book of... See, I told you I was a worship guy. They just made me start speaking. No, it's, it's in the book of Genesis, Genesis 37 through 50, the life of Joseph. And we're going to look at Joseph's life because Joseph is this great encouragement at the end of the first book of the Bible of how do we handle life when things don't work out as planned? How do we deal with the wall? We're calling this series Through the Wall. How do we deal with the walls of crisis, the walls of pain, the walls of suffering, the walls of difficulty that seem to come into life? The life of Joseph shows us that life is not a sprint. You know, everything in Orange County tells us that life is a sprint. Let's sprint to Starbucks, right? <laughs> Let's sprint to the grocery store. Let's sprint to college. Let's sprint to a career. Let's sprint to marriage. Let's sprint to kids. Let's sprint to everything. We've got to have it now. We, it's got to be instant. We've got to be able to put it in a microwave or put it somewhere and get it out as quick as we can. We want things now and we want things to happen quick, right? And we're always being pressed into that mold by the culture and the pace that we live in. But the life of Joseph tells us that, you know, life really isn't a sprint. It's actually a marathon. It's actually a journey that lasts a long time. And there's an important part of that journey. That journey is about connecting with God and connecting with others in significant ways. And as a part of that journey, as a part of that marathon, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to face challenges. As much as you try to avoid them, and there's nothing wrong with avoiding things with wisdom, but you're going to face walls, you're going to face crisis, you're going to face struggle. And how do you deal with that? What does God's word have to say about that? I remember when I was training for the Orange County Marathon, my first marathon, and one of the guys that was coaching us, his name was Jim, and he was in, in the church, and he was a part of my men's group. He was a world-class marathoner. Uh, he 
was in college. He actually was at the Olympic trials, and he was just with a bunch of guys that didn't know what they were doing and didn't understand what this was all about, trying to coach us through our first marathon. And one of the things he talked to us about as we were training is about nutrition and diet and tips and all the training regimen. But he said, you know, most likely some of you are going to hit what's called the wall. What's that? Well, that's what, 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 what happens is, you know, your body doesn't get enough of its nutrients. You're, you've sucked it all out of yourself, and all of a sudden, your body's going to start breaking down when you hit the wall. And it's going to feel like pain in your legs. That's excruciating. And you're going to start to cramp, potentially. You might feel nausea in your stomach. And, and then you're going to go, oh, why did I do this? Why did I sign up for this anyway? I want out of here because the pain is going to start to scream at you and you're going to want to quit. But don't, don't be afraid. You can get through this. I'm going to teach you and train you with some tips so you can get through that wall. But more importantly, uh, you don't need just principles. You need a person. I'm going to run the marathon with you guys just for fun. And he did. He ran the marathon. He would run up and he would run back, catch us. Hey, this is what's coming up around the curve. And he'd run back and catch us. He's in such great shape. He's just doing it for fun. And so, but he was coaching us through the marathon. And I remember hitting the wall. I remember having a guy right there telling me what to do, slowing down my pace, focusing my mind. He just coached me through the wall. And you know, you're, God knows you're going to hit a crisis. God knows your family's going to hit a wall. God knows your marriage is going to hit a wall. He knows there's going to be a wall in your career. There's going to be a wall at certain places and certain times of your life. And you don't just need a set of principles. Yes, there's principles in this book, but this book is about people who walk through the wall. Joseph is a life that walked through the wall. God gives us a whole life to study and look at. A person that we can understand, a human being with skin on that went through the wall and trusted God and knew God. And through this life, we can gain greater wisdom. That's my prayer that you'll have greater wisdom, greater confidence, greater hope when you face the walls and challenges of your life. Because ultimately, walls are not all avoidable. They are inevitable. And what is God doing? Because the questions hit us at the wall. Why? <laughs> Why this pain? Why, why me? Why now? This is not a good time for this, right? Why is this happening? Am I the only one? We feel isolated. Sometimes there's anxiety that overwhelms us. We feel out of control. And we ask those questions. Why? Why, God? Where are you, God? How can I find you? Why, why do you feel distant from me? Why are you suddenly hidden to me at the wall? My prayers bounce off the ceiling. I can't find you. I don't know what's happening. I'm confused and disoriented. How do we deal with the wall? And how do we deal with the questions of the wall? Why does God seem so hidden? Why does God many times seem unavailable? Why don't I feel him in his presence when I hit the walls of life? Joseph's life is a great answer to that question. Many of you here today are wondering, where is God in my crisis? Where is God in my struggle? Why, 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 why are my prayers not being answered the way I want them to be answered? Why, why do I feel pain and anxiety? Why does this wall seem so long? Why is it so painful? Why is life so hard many times? The great questions of life. And Joseph is a great encouragement, a person, to come alongside us. As we face the walls of our life. Well, what is God doing when we hit walls? It's June in the OC. 
What do they call it when June hits? What do we call it? June gloom, right? Just another cloudy, dreary, marine layer day. Is the sun still out? Is the sun still out? Yeah, the sun's still out, just you can't see it, right? It's still out there working stuff, but there's this layer, there's this fog, and you can't see it. I drive to Pomona many times for work. I go to Pomona, it's 10 degrees, the sun's out, it's blazing hot out there. I come back here and it's freezing because this gloom, this marine layer, see, the sun is still there. God is still there even if you don't see his hidden work in your life. At the moment of the wall, the moment of crisis, well, what is God doing? Genesis chapter 37 gives us some great tips, some tools, some things to hold on to as we face and hit the wall of crisis in our lives. What's the first thing that God is up to? Maybe. Maybe you're hitting the wall. Maybe you're in crisis. Maybe you have a friend in crisis. What's the first thing that God might be up to when we hit the wall? He might be focusing on us on a deeper issue in our life. He might be focusing us on a deeper issue in our life. I've been focused on a deeper issue in my life because I've hit the wall in the last three months. Anybody got allergies? I've had allergies that have gone out of control. I've had allergies that have gone for three months now. My skin's been inflamed. My, my face is blown up. My eyes have been so swollen. People that see me say, what is wrong with you? My wife's called me the elephant man sometimes when I've come home. But it's not been fun. And every conversation I have with people, what's wrong? Oh my gosh, Bucky, you seem really, really tired because your eyes are so droopy. Well, my eyes are so swollen, they're almost swollen shut. I'm having an allergic reaction to all this stuff that's coming against me. Well, it must be this. Here's the cream. Use this cream. It'll solve you. Here's a soap. It'll cure you. Here's a pill. I'll fix you. And all this stuff. And it's this journey to try to heal my skin. And you know what? I hit the wall. And I look for these answers, and most of the first answers are topical answers. I just need some different cream. I just need to change my resin and get away from the pollen. I just need to cover myself up when I mountain bike and don't let stuff rub against my skin. It was all topical stuff, and topical stuff is fine. Creams are great, but it wasn't solving my crisis. And it was at that wall that I had to look deeper And find doctors that could go deeper into the issue of my life. And guess what? It's not my skin. The skin is just a symptom. It's my gut. The gut is the real issue. It's on the inside. I've got to heal my gut to cure the inflammation. The the, the war is happening inside of me and it's breaking out on my skin. The issue is the gut. And many times we face the wall of crisis and say, oh, it's topical. It's my wife's problem. If I just take my wife to counseling and the counselor will fix her, everything's going to be okay. She's the problem. Oh, it's just my boss. It's this work structure that's so oppressive. If I just get a different job, everything's going to be great. Ah, it's that teacher and it's that school. That, pro- that public education, if I just get them in a Christian school, and they're going to work out perfect. Anybody tried that? I tried that. doesn't really work. It's a good thing, but it doesn't always work. You know, topical things are fine. There's nothing wrong with trying to find topical and circumstantial solutions. Those are great. But many times the wall 
When those things don't work, we cry out and go, God, where are you? You've abandoned me. You've lost me. You don't care about me. You didn't give me the job. You didn't fix my finances. You didn't do these things. Because I'm asking you to look at a deeper issue in your life. It's the gut. It's the heart. I'm trying to focus you on the heart. Because I want to truly heal what's ailing in your life. Let's look at the gut of Joseph's family. We get some clues to the dysfunction and the disease that will spill out all over Joseph's life and his family. It's the gut. It's the heart. Here is the opening uh, verses in Genesis 37. Look at Joseph's family. Jacob, Joseph's father, lived in the land where his father had stayed, Isaac, in the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. A young man, uh, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about their brothers. Hmm. Now, Israel loved Joseph. That's Jacob. That's another name. That's a covenant name. Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. More. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornament of robes, a beautiful robe for him. The coat of many colors. Anybody see the play? Joseph in the coat of many colors. This is this ornate, beautiful robe that Jacob brought for Joseph. When his brothers saw their father, that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. What is the gut dysfunction that's going on in Joseph's family system? There's all kinds of stuff bubbling out of the heart that's going to overflow. Joseph's family is full of deep generational dysfunction. I encourage you to read in Genesis before chapter 37 and go back to the patriarchs. Go back to Abraham's life, go back to Isaac's life, and come into Jacob's life, and you'll see patterns. Patterns of blessing, yes, patterns of good things, but also patterns of dysfunction, Patterns of selfishness, pride, favoritism, patterns of sin that are being passed on into the next generation. Well, let's look at some of these. Jacob's favoritism. Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of the brothers. Anybody who grew up in a family where there's favoritism, does that help things out real well with the siblings? Not so good, right? And Jacob's favoritism created this toxic dysfunction in the family. He chose Joseph because Joseph was the beloved son of his favorite wife, many wives. Another kind of a dysfunction there that's happening. Have you ever tried that? I wouldn't recommend it. Um, But as a result of him choosing uh, Rachel's firstborn son, his beloved Rachel, right? Joseph, and loving him, and the reason that he loved him so much is because Rachel died when Jacob and his family journeyed back from Haran back to the land of Canaan. And so as a result of that, his beloved wife Rachel died and he grabbed onto his firstborn son and made him the treasure. He's trying to heal that wound, trying to make this favoritism somehow fix the emptiness and the brokenness in his own life. As a result, his favoritism is destroying and hurting the family. He, he lavishes him with riches, right? He buys him this robe and this robe is ornate, but it's very, very costly. And what it speaks of is royalty. 
here's your royal robe. I'm going to buy you the royal robe. Your brothers are going to go out and tend the sheep. You get to walk around with a royal robe. Talk about a, a, a favored son, a sissy to the brothers, right? There goes that sissy boy. He's in his little robe. He's not out here in the field making a living like us. See, you see the favoritism. You see the setup for this. It's a lot of dysfunction that's happening here. And then look at Joseph. He's not, he's not uh, immune to any of this. He's not the, the great hero of the story. Joseph's just as broken as his family members. This word in the Hebrew, bad report, it speaks of lying and deception. Joseph is, is basically slandering his brothers in front of his fathers to continue to gain that favoritism. He's manipulative, he's prideful, and he's controlling because of his favoritism. He thinks he's better than that. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. He thinks he's got it going on and his brothers are not as good as him. Look at what Joseph's been set up for by this family system, this pride and this dysfunction. And finally, what's the response? Hatred. His brothers are jealous, they envy, and they hate him. They can't even talk to him. And look at the toxic stuff that's happening in Joseph's family system. Families are messy, right? There's no family that gets out of this without dysfunction, mess, and brokenness. And the wall is an opportunity. See, underneath the surface of this family was brokenness that needed to be healed. And if they just went for topical solutions, right? Let's just separate the boys out. We'll send Joseph over here and put them over there. Let's just move somewhere else. You know, let's, let's just change jobs. Let's just rearrange deck chairs. But it will never deal with the gut and the things that are happening in the heart. The wall, the pain, the struggle forces us. It knocks us down. It forces us to look at the deeper issues in our lives. This is the gift of a wall. This is the gift of a crisis. This is the opportunity, as the scriptures say. The wall is the opportunity to look deeper. Look what the scriptures say to us over and over again. What you sow, you will reap. And whatever is dysfunction, you sow into a system, a family sister being one of them, even a corporate system, right? A corporate culture, a family culture, a governmental culture, any system. What you sow into that system, you reap from that system. Here's what it says in Jeremiah 32, 18. You show love, you, God, you show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Sin gets passed from one generation to the next. Unless it's dealt with, unless it's healed, unless it's reconciled, unless it's cured by the love and grace of God, it will pass to the next generation. The wall reveals how our families have formed our own patterns, our ways of thinking and ways of acting. We bring our family of origin right into our marriage. When I counsel couples, one of the things we have to talk about was how did your parents resolve conflict? How did your parents define love? How did your family deal with money? Because those patterns get passed without an understanding and awareness and a lot of work. Those patterns will get repeated and passed right into your family system. The wall is an opportunity to become aware. The wall is an opportunity for ownership. Right? The, the, the control that I struggle with in my life, the, the, the uh, lack of emotional intimacy at times that I, I've had in my, my relationships... The fact that I'm, I'm somewhat uh, manipulative and passive-aggressive is because I learned that from my family system. Yes, I, I took part in it. You know, it's not all about them. I'm not blaming them. But I have to become aware of that if I can see how it's affected me and how I played that out and own that. 
And so many times you have to go backward to go forward. We all want to charge forward. We all want to crash through the walls. We all want to go take the mountain. Nothing wrong with that. But when you hit a wall and you bounce back and you hit a wall and you bounce back, you hit a wall and you bounce back, God might be saying, hey, quit hitting the wall and look at what's going on. Insanity. What is it? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Stop the insanity. Go back and look at the gut and find out what's really going on on the inside. That's a gift from God. God's grace enables us to take ownership. I want to own this fact that I'm, I, I disconnect when there's pain and stuff, Kathleen. I learned that from a disconnected system. I need to lean into conflict. I need to lean into you. I can't run away and abandon you. I need to find how to resolve conflict and connect with you. I got to own my part if we're ever going to get to the table and have healthy conflict resolution, right? All of us have a part. The wall can show us our part if we're willing to let it look. We're willing to humble ourselves and look at that. This is the opportunity that Joseph is going to have. God's grace enables us to take ownership and break through these really ingrained generational patterns that come into our life and to our families. What else might what God might be doing? He might be working in a bigger plan. He might be having you look at the patterns of dysfunction because he's working a bigger plan. He's not even just thinking about you. He's thinking about your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, and kids you might never have even seen. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and beyond. God is a God of the generations. God is a God who sees the eternal picture. He doesn't just see the little part that many times in the sliver that we see. He's working a bigger plan. And he's involving you and giving you the opportunity to be a part of that. Sometimes the wall is because God is working things that we cannot see and don't understand for our good and for the good of others. That's Joseph's story. I want to look at two things about this plan. Dreams. Joseph has these amazing dreams. And circumstances. These unusual circumstances that all come together to show God is sovereignly working a bigger plan in Joseph's life. Joseph had a dream, right? And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to the dream I had. He's kind of happy about the dream. He's kind of feeling, well, I got a great dream here. I'm going to share it with you. Well, they're not so excited about his dream. Let's see what it says. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep rose up and stood up. While your sheaves gathered and bowed down, little man, and bowed it to the ground, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because his dream and because of what he had said. Then he has another dream. He tells it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. This is way bigger than that. This involves the sun, the moon, and the stars. Man, this is a big dream. I'm going to take things to the stars. Sun and moon and the stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his brothers as well, his brothers and his father rebuked him. His dad's ticked at him and said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I and brothers actually come and bow down to you before you? His brothers were jealous, and his father kept the matter to himself. These dreams, what are these dreams about? Are these man-sized dreams? You know, that's many times what we start. I'm going to have a man-sized dream. This is my career, God. I want you to fulfill my career dream. 
This is my, my dream for my finances. God, would you fulfill my dream for my finances? Would you take care of my dream for the way I want, the woman that I want? Would you give her right here and give her to me? Would you take care? Would you make my kids superstars and perfects and trade days? Can they get to a great college? Would you fulfill my dream, my man-sized dream? And God always takes our man-sized dreams, and he's replacing them with God-sized dreams. This is a man-sized dream when he first shares it because he's at the center of it. You bow down to me. That's not the dream. This dream is not about them bowing down to him. It's about him serving them for the salvation of their family. He's too young to understand this dream, right? He's not prayed over it. He's not thought about it. He's not gotten any counsel. He's some young boy and saying, this dream is about me. My dreams are all about me, right? That's where they start out, but it's the wall that teaches us that the dreams are not about us. They're actually about God. They're actually about the gifts and the things that God has given us, but they're way bigger than us. They're about others. They're about a bigger story. Joseph has these true dreams, but they're radical. You know, these dreams are radical in the culture because this culture is a hierarchical culture. And guess what? The younger always bow down and serve the older. This is a culture that really understands what it means to honor your parents Gray hair is wisdom. The aged are blessed. They're the ones at the top of the chain, right? They're the ones that you serve and you honor. You know, that's, that's the way the culture is about. It's a top-down hierarchical culture, and it's a culture that lives by the law of the firstborn. The firstborn son, because he's the oldest, he gets all the blessing. He gets the firstborn blessing. He gets the family, double the family treasure. He's the guy that's honored. He's the head, the next one to take over the family patriarchy. It's the firstborn. These dreams are so counterculture and subversive. Why? Because Joseph, this little guy on the bottom of the food chain who has his father's coat, somehow is becoming the champion here in this dream. And not only are his brothers reacting against his pride, but his dad is reacting against the idea that a younger would ask the olders to bow down to him. This is culturally subversive, and God is saying, my dreams are counterculturally different. I'm going to turn the culture on its head in order to fulfill the promises that I have for you. I'm going to fulfill my dreams in such a different way that it's going to change the idea of what the culture thinks. And it's going to bring honor to who? The culture to man? Who's the dream going to bring honor to? It's going to bring honor to God. He's going to be the one who gets the glory. And so this is totally subversive. This is turning the world's values. You have to go up in order to get up. That's what the world says. No, Jesus says you have to go down in order to get up, right? You have to die in order to live. These are counterculturally subversive ideas that come out of the gospel, that come out of God's dreams, and they take the cultural values with have man at the center, and they put God at the center, and he gets the glory because that's the way he intended it. He's changing the system through a person, and through that person, things can change and shift in the system, in the culture, in your family, in the world, as you are changed. That's God's dream. And Joseph encounters this, but he doesn't understand it. God's dream is utterly different and doesn't make sense, you know, in the society and the world that we live in and their world as well. What about the circumstances? These circumstances in Joseph's life in Genesis 13 seem like random chance things, and yet something else is happening in the midst of them. Now, his brothers had gone down to graze their father's flocks in Shechem. Their father sent them down them, and Israel said to them, Joseph, come, 
I'm going to send you to them to check on them. You can check up on them, see if they're doing okay. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. The man answered, I heard somebody say that they were going down to Dothan. Then Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the, in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him to the cistern here that was empty in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben had uh, an idea that he would rescue him later once the, and take him back to his father. And so here's the circumstances. These seem like random chance happenings. And yet they're not. You know, J Joseph just happened to be sent by his father down to Shechem with his beautiful coat on to check on his brother. His brothers just happened to have moved to a place called Dotham, and Dotham is secluded. It's a place where you could do some damage to somebody and nobody else would see. It's a faraway, kind of a secluded, secret place. And as Joseph went to Shechem, he just happened to find a man while he was wandering in the field that said, hey, I heard some guys saying that they were going down to Dotham. And Joseph just happened to find his way down to Dotham. They just happened to see him coming and happened to plot against him. And just as they happened to plot against him, Reuben, Reuben just happened to be there because the next time he's not going to be there. And happened to ha there happened to be a well there that was open, a cistern that they could throw him in. Are these just random chance happenings? Or is there somebody orchestrating this story, a sovereign hand behind the cloud that is working the events out for good and for glory? God's name is never mentioned in Genesis 37. Read it, you won't find his name once there. Why is that? Because the author's artistry in writing this book is showing you that even when you can't see God, he's still working. Even when he seems hidden, he's got a bigger plan. His purposes are being accomplished. He's moving these circumstances to, in order to order Joseph's life around the dream. If these events do not happen exactly the way they happen, guess what? If Joseph doesn't go down there, if Joseph doesn't find his brothers, if jo Joseph's brothers don't attack him and they actually, they actually set him free... If Joseph's brothers do attack him and they actually kill him, guess what happens? Everybody in the family dies. Everybody in the family is wiped out. Because God knows the bigger story. And as you read this, you'll know the bigger story. There's a huge famine that's coming to the land. And God has promised that the salvation of the world is coming through this family. And God knows that. And he's got to orchestrate a plan to get one of them into a place of power in Egypt so he can get some grain to save this family and save his promises. You see, God is working a bigger story. And even though life is painful and difficult for you and you're facing a wall, you have to understand there's a bigger story. There's a bigger picture. There's God is working things. And he's working things out to affect your family system, future generations, and the people that are observing your story. This is what the scriptures are trying to teach us, that God is not hidden even when he seems hidden and unavailable to us. He's working a bigger story. And that's the last point. He's, he's moving the events. He's focusing on the heart. He's changing the system because he's pointing to a greater story. Joseph's story points to a greater story in the Bible. It's a story of grace. It's a story of mercy. 
It's a story of good news. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. Not a very fun welcome. The cistern was empty. There was no water. That's a hard fall, you know, 15, 16, 18 feet down into a cistern. Um, They sat down to eat their meal. They looked up, and and it says later in the scriptures that Joseph was crying out. When they remembered this event later on, they remembered that Joseph was crying like anybody would. Hey, guys, what are you doing? I can't believe this. Get me out of here. What are you doing? So he's crying, and his brothers have thrown him and abandoned him. And as they did that, they sat down to eat a meal together, right? And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites, traders coming from Gilead, and they're, who are on their way. They're going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, hey, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. He's our blood, right? And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him down to Egypt. There's real evil here. The Bible does not deny that there's evil and bad things in this world that happen to our life. And these brothers do some real evil to Joseph. This is real pain. This is real torture. This is real suffering. Stripped in the Hebrew means to, to skin like an animal. They ripped this robe off of him. They didn't just ask him to take his robe off. They beat him up, ripped this robe off, and, and threw him down. And the word in the Hebrew, threw him down, describes throwing a corpse, right? Abandoning somebody to death. These are specific Hebrew words that are saying they're really doing some deep damage to their brother. They really hate him. And this hatred is spilling out, and this evil is touching into Joseph's life. And yet, even with that evil and pain, There is a bigger story that's being told. There's a bigger picture that's being shown because God is working even when it seems like he's not. God is even working when there's evil in the world. God is even working when there's evil in the world. God's love for us is not incompatible with evil and suffering in this world that's happening right now. God's love is greater than that. God's love is working a bigger story. God's love is even working for good. Even though there's evil in the world, God is still working for good and his love is still. The book of Romans says that there is nothing, no evil that can separate us from the love of God. Even though we suffer and we struggle, there is no evil that can separate us from the love of God. No evil will be able to overtake God's provincial love in Joseph's life. Even though it's real, it's painful, it's hard, no evil will be able to take out God's promises and his love for your life. And this greater story is a story of someone who will come after Joseph, right? He seemed like familiar. These patterns of salvation, right? How is salvation happening to this family? Joseph will become the savior of this family through weakness. He's going to be sold. He's going to be rejected by his brothers. He's going to be stripped and beaten. He's going to be thrown into a pit. Through humility, through weakness and suffering, he will become ultimately the savior of this family. And this story is pointing to another savior who will come who will not just give a robe and, and, and suffering, he will give his own body and blood, who will be sold, 
for 30 pieces of silver, who will be rejected by his own and his brethren, who will face a pit that is way wider and deeper than Joseph will face, who will be abandoned by his father's love and face forsakenness and say, my God, my God, why hath thou forsaken us? We'll go to the greatest wall we've ever faced, the wall of sin and death. Joseph's life is pointing to the Savior that will come. This is the gospel that's being told from the beginning of the book of the Bible in Genesis. God is weaving his story. He's telling of all how he saves and he redeems. It's not the way the world saves. It's not through power. It's not through strength. It's not through some great army and the sword. It is through humility and suffering and sacrifice. This is the gospel. It's being told. It seems that this is the end, right? Jacob starts to weep that his son is dead. Look at the report. So when the Midianite merchants came, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern, and they sold him for 20 seconds of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat to cover up their sin and dipped it in blood. You know, and they took it to their father, this ornate robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. He's dead. I'm lost. It's over. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth, and mourned for so many days. All of his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will continue to mourn until I'm dead. My life is over. It is done. There is no hope. There is no story. There is nothing. That's where Joseph's at. That's where the story's at. And yet we know what's happening. Joseph is not a dead. He's alive. He's not fully lost because he will be found. It's not over. It's just the beginning. Does that sound like something to you? Does that sound like a God who went into the tomb for three days and it wasn't over? It wasn't over, and he rose from the dead because our God is a God who robs the grave. There is no grave that can hold our God down. There is no no death that can stop our God. There is no defeat that can come against you that can take the promises of God and the purposes of God in your life. Because of the grace of God, nothing can kill God's plan for your life. That is the gospel. That is how we know when we face the walls. Later next week, we're going to talk about Joseph, and it's going to say when Joseph is, is in Egypt, in Potiphar's house, God is with him. He recognizes the presence of God. God has always been with him. He just, he just didn't recognize it. It just was hidden. But now the cloud starts to take him away, and Joseph feels God's favor in his presence because Joseph is going to start to respond to the work of God. He's going to say yes to God's redemptive work in his life because Joseph has to, God has to rescue Joseph before he can rescue his family. You see, this isn't just an ancient character study that says, here's the character principles for you to suck it up and have a better life. Think better in your mind at the wall, take more vitamins at the wall, train harder and run faster, and you'll get through the wall the next time. This is not a self-improvement, self-help, man-centered story. This is a gospel story. Joseph is flat on his back. He's dead. He has no hope for his family. He has no for, for his future. And God is rescuing him through his grace and his love. Joseph is on his back, and he has only one place to look, right, in that cistern, and that is up. And God is the one who's going to reach down and rescue him. And how do we know that God will do that for us? How do you know when you hit the wall and you're on your back and you feel alone that God will rescue him? You know because you have that. Joseph had the promises of his father. God has given us a covenant, and he's going to fulfill that. That's all he had to go on, right? But we have the body and blood of God's own son. And we have the cross. 
And the cross tells us that we will always have the Father's love. Jesus left the Father's love. He let go of the Father's code of love willingly for you so that you would know you would never be without God's love in the walls of your life. The cross tells you that never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, never will you be abandoned or alone ever in your life, even when you feel I'm not with you, even when your senses don't tell you that, even when your prayers hit the wall, even when those things happen to you, God is still working and he's still for you because you can look up at that cross. This morning, I'm going to ask the band to come up. We close our time. And I'm going to ask for those of us that are maybe facing the wall and might need prayer for you to stand with me, actually, because I, I need prayer this morning. I, I'm, I'm usually up here asking you for prayer, but I'm going to come stand out here. I'm going to ask Eric Markle and Danny, some of the elders of our church, to come and tape. I'm going to ask them to pray over me because I'm at a wall. I'm struggling with my health. My eyes are, 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 are really tired. I don't sleep at night. My skin's itching. I want to rip it off. This is a hard struggle for me. And I have doubts and I have fears. I'm a human being like you guys. And I can't get through the wall without somebody, a person to come alongside me. The person of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And how does that happen? It happens in community, guys. This is the Holy Spirit dwells in you. This is, this is the presence of God in the wall. Just like Joseph felt the presence of God, we feel the presence of God when we're a family, when we hold one another, when we pray for one another, when we cry with one another, we grieve with another, one another at the walls of life. Don't go to, come to church and just be isolated and alone at the wall and say, nobody cares about me. Nobody said hi to me. This church hates me. No, no, this church loves you. You just have to raise your hand. You have to say, I need some help. You have to be willing to own it. I'm, I'm not perfect. Guys, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect pastor. I'm a broken pastor like your broken people. I need prayer too. I need healing just like you do. And if any of you here today feel that, you feel isolated, alone, abandoned at the wall, come up and stand with me. Let these elders pray over you. I know it takes courage to come up, but I'm here. Your pastor, come up and stand with me. Let's lock arms and arms and let, me pray, let us pray for your healing. Let us pray together. If, if, if you, you feel like, gosh, man, I just, I just hit the wall this morning, and I need some prayer. I need the church to come around me. We're going to begin a time of worship, but I'd love for you to come up here at the altar and let us pray over you, as I'm going to be praying over, and let us worship you and ask for the healing hand of God and the purposes of God and the work of God to continue in your life. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's physical th- wall that you've hit. Maybe it's an emotional crisis. Maybe you feel despairing and hopeless. You're not alone. I'm here to tell you, you're not alone. God is with you, even in the suffering of your life. He sent his son for you to know that. And so we're going to worship. We're going to pray here this morning. And then we're going to take communion. We have four communion stations. And that is this reminder that Jesus said, take this cup and remember it's my blood. Remember, I'm with you, even in the wall of life. You're going to need to remember that. This is my body and blood. It's given for you. So you're going to go through that wall. You're going to overcome it one day. I am with you and for you. And take that that communion and thank Jesus that he's with you. He'll never forsake you. You have the code of the Father's love. And we're going to worship together and celebrate. But begin begin, even with, we're going to pray. Let's get Eric and Mike. And Eric and Danny, would you pray over all of us here up here? Guys, why don't you come around who wants to be prayed for? And I'll let the elders pray over us. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, 
please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.